Women on Screen Out Loud is proudly supported by Company 3 in Toronto. Company 3 is the leading post-production and visual effects provider to the world's top content creators. Welcome to Women on Screen Out Loud, giving a platform to women in the film industry who challenge, motivate, and inspire on all sides of the camera. We are your hosts, Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. If you could receive a letter from yourself 50 years into the future, what would it say? In this episode, multidisciplinary artist and Women on Screen co-founder Farah Murani shares her whimsical essay, 50 Years to Myself, in this, she contemplates what propels her current path, why identity and representation matter, and what will continue to inspire her amongst insecurity and self-doubt. Her words are layered with insightful thoughts about her past and present, informed by her visionary future. Dear Farah, this is your older self here, 50 years in the future. I, we, are going to die soon and leave this physical realm. It's hardly something to fear nowadays. Between advances in science, quantum mechanics, and people's general acceptance of our spiritual interconnectedness, the world has welcomed openings into other dimensions, things your present was only conjuring up in the worlds of fantasy and science fiction, much like the automatic doors of your beloved Star Trek that became a reality 20 years later. You dreamed it, and now we have it. Oh, and by the way, you can own your pointy ears because you make a great Vulcan. Speaking of dreams, I'm writing you this letter for several reasons. Namely, I want you, us, to know that it happened. You heard your name and you saw your face. And you know exactly what I mean when I say that. Remember those romper room days where you would watch and watch and watch and all you wanted was for Miss Fran to call out your name? Well, I can tell you this much. When you heard your name called, it was so much better than romp room. What we did was meaningful. We carved out our own path, pursuing our passions with intelligent risk-taking, which led us to finding our purpose. Not exactly in the way you'd imagined, and it took a little longer than you'd hoped. Still, we made it. Because really, it was never just about you. It's always been about representing all that you are. The first-generation Gujarati, Ismaili, Muslim, Canadian, actor, artist, human. Championing for the pluralism of our world to be reflected back to us on our screens. For everyone to feel like they belong. And most importantly... There's a girl child who grew up seeing her name and a boy child who saw his face... And now they see themselves as belonging to the world. The world you grew up in is nothing like the world we live in now. Your high school theory of brownosis basically came true. And let me tell you, you should have copyrighted that term in the 90s because now it's a reality and everyone uses it. I also have some more pressing matters to address. An apology to express for what we did. I know you're sitting there listening to this thinking that we're apologizing to ourselves for what we put ourselves through as a child, and we have every reason to apologize for that. 
We were so hard on ourselves, and we let the expectations, the ideas, and the loving but misguided attentions of others sway our self-perception. We did things to hurt our body because our heart was hurting and our mind was seeking solace. We hurt ourselves badly and we didn't give ourselves the love and compassion we were so ready to give others. I'm sorry we didn't learn this lesson until that messy, broken heart happened. But the flip side is that we did end up happy and that has made all the difference. I'll spare you those details because I don't think they'd be helpful to you now no matter how curious you are. Just trust that I'm looking out for you from your future. I'm sorry we were so hard on ourselves and constantly felt the need to compare ourselves to others. Truth is, there really is no one like us. Our superpower lies in our magical uniqueness. It took some time for us to find it, but when we did, the power that unleashed was atomic. I'm sorry we let ourselves get swayed in our dream, that we ever doubted ourselves, but we're proud that we kept pressing on. Insecurity is invisibly crippling, and we were too scared to accept the greatness we knew we carried so deep within. Why did we let ourselves get paralyzed by our fears? I know you're asking yourself right now the same question. Because you also know that the key to unlocking your greatest potential lies in the stillness you're so close to finding. So I'm here to tell you this. Don't give up. Promise me you won't give up. And promise me you'll forgive yourself for everything you've done to get in your own way. Say it out loud, right now. I, Faramirani, forgive myself for everything I've ever done to get in my own way. Go ahead. Cry if you need to. I'm here for you. I always am, and will be your guiding force. Because you know you want to become me. You are me, and I am you. We are one and the same, and everything I am is because of you. I'm sorry you're going through what you're going through right now. You and the world. There's been a lot of pain so much of which could have been avoided and should never have happened in the first place. But it's important we don't live in that conditional tense. It won't serve you as you forge ahead and continue tapping into that well of creativity that exists within you and in relation to those around you. Let go of the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Keep saying grace and holding fast to the gratitude for every blessing that comes your way. It's like having an Ikea umbrella handy whenever you get stuck in the rain. A lot is about to change in our life, but we kind of already knew that. So whenever you wonder why things are the way they are, just remember that I'm here and that you made it this far. One day you'll see it all. Just not too soon. I'm sorry I ever doubted us, because I know we're going to be just fine. You, my darling self, must have that same faith in you because it's the song you can't hear in the background. You'll adjust the volume and then it'll all play in tune. So pay attention, find the stillness, and listen. We're so much better off when we do. With all the love the universe can bear to share, I send it to you from just beyond yourself.
Love always, Farah. Coming up, Lara Jean and Farah discuss the complexities of being authentic and compassionate towards oneself, no matter what stage of life. Okay. Hello. I'm Lara Jean Porosecki, and I'm here with Farah Marani, one of the co-founders of Women on Screen. Farah, thank you. There's so much happening in the world right now, and 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 uh, your essay, you know, touches on it at times. Um, Jen and I wanted to start with saying, okay, did we understand this correctly? This is an essay of your future self reflecting on your past self to give your present self advice and comfort on how to move through the realities of now? I could not have said it more succinctly myself. <laughs> Those are Jen's <laughs> words, by the way, not mine. Um, how did you come to write this? Uh, what what made you choose this kind of a format to share your story? Well, uh, when you gals asked me to write something, I did what every writer does. I sat at my desk and I looked at my laptop and it was a blank screen for about two days because I couldn't figure out where to start. And so I went back in some of my into some of my previous writing exercises through a specifically through a 30-day challenge that I've done multiple times where they give us random prompts. And one of the prompts that we got last year was to write a letter to yourself. That was it. It wasn't specifically past or present. So I decided to write this from my future self to my present self, because I figured that was a bit of an added challenge, like an added bonus for myself. To, why not <laughs> make it a little achiever. bit harder? <laughs> you can't just do one thing. You no. must do many. Exactly. <laughs> so the the joy of doing that was that I could I could put myself in the place that I wanted to, that I want to be in, and know that where I am right now is leading me to that place whatever that place mm. is. And part of it too is the part of the reason why I didn't want to write to my younger self was because then it kind of becomes a bit of like wishful thinking and, and ruining the day or uh, perhaps even indulging in some regret, which mm. I didn't want to do at all. I wanted to keep it very forward focused so I thought, what better, what better way to do it than to create a future version of myself that would be able to look back at myself now and give myself the pep talk and the the rallying cry and the, you know, the, being the cheerleader for like you're in the right place, you're doing the right thing, even though you can't tell you're going in the right direction. It's such an interesting perspective because we so often get asked to, you know, in these kind of writing exercises to uh, talk to our past selves. What do mm. we wish our past selves knew? But you're right. We get asked to do that for like, what should we have known at 16? Which is unfair. An, yeah, because it, it does. You're right. In some ways, it can possibly cause us to ruminate on regrets. 
And if we, I actually just did an activity this weekend in a seminar that I was doing that that talked about like where are make a vision board for where you are now, mm. and now imagine yourself at ninety. Yeah. And what will this vision board look like at ninety? That's cool. And that's it, it's a as you say it's forward moving. Um, I am going to delve into your past for a second, though, because can you tell us more about the romper room for those who don't know what it is? And so what is it and why does it have so much weight attached to your decision to get into the arts? Uh, well, it is I can actually say without a word of a doubt that it was one of the most impressionable shows in my early development as a child. Romper room, I mean, it precedes me by decades. I think it started in the 50s or 60s in the States. And there was a host and she interacted with a bunch of children in this room, held up a mirror at the end of every episode and would call out the names of the children, both present and outside into the world, which is why it was the magic mirror. And so I remember loving this show and waiting and waiting and waiting for my name to get called out of this mirror. And my mom told me this, that one day I, I turned to her, I must have been, I don't know, three, four. And so my mom tells me that I turned to her and I asked her, when when was my name going to be called? Hmm. And I she did the best that she could in, in the moment and told me if I kept watching that maybe one day they would. Well, I obviously grew up and grew out of the show and never heard my name, <laughs> never saw my name at the souvenir shops at Science North or, you know, Wonderland or whatever. Um, and it always it always bothered me that I never got to see my name anywhere. Um, and then I realized as I got older that that was connected to never quite seeing myself on TV or on in movies and in music like in art in general going out into the world as a young south asian woman i very rarely felt myself represented in these in these spaces so once i had the the knowledge the insights the self awareness to realize that that early childhood experience had left such an imprint on me it just deeply connected me to why I I had this drive to be on TV and I couldn't really figure it out. Like, I didn't know why exactly. And then I realized it was like, because I never saw myself there. And therefore, it, it I struggled so, so long, for so long, trying to fit in or like feel like I belonged somewhere. Um, and then, yeah, I just decided I was like okay fine I'm gonna I'm gonna pursue this and I'm gonna put myself there I'm gonna do whatever I can <laughs> to get myself there and you know as they say here we are you identify yourself in the essay as a first generation Gujarati is a smiley Muslim Canadian actor artist human and there's another quote in this essay where you say truth is there's really no one like us our superpower lies in our magical uniqueness um, my question here is like can you 
speak more, I mean, you just did so beautifully in some ways, but to your own magical uniqueness and how that identity has informed your work. And especially because you don't mention it in this essay, but you've been an advocate for representation on film, as you just spoke to so eloquently. And you've had a role on Actra's Diversity Committee for quite a while as co-chair in the past. And uh, now I know you consult on some things. So can you speak about that journey? So from that child watching romper room to really um, taking your path into your own hands to where you are now? Yeah, sure. Somebody once told me that I was born to be a pioneer. I didn't understand what that (laughs) meant because I've always been a natural leader. I've always been the kind of girl who was like, well, if they're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. Being in a group project, it was always like, well, Farah's going to organize it. And you know, I've just always had that natural instinct to step into a leadership role. Not always willingly, mind you, but I always did. And when it so when it comes to this idea of representation and diversity and inclusion, it was almost a no-brainer. As soon as I started putting the pieces together that I I am who I am and the journey that I've taken to accept who I am. It's like most people can probably appreciate. It's never an easy one. There's always going to be something that hiccups or makes us turn around or feel defeated. What has consistently kept me motivated and and wanting to, to champion, like I said in my essay, championing pluralism that I believe is so important and such a valuable piece of being Canadian specifically, because it is truly unique to our country, the way that we embody pluralism. Mm. I've, I've, I think when I connected to that and, and how I, being in a public sphere in whatever capacity that I'm in, even if it's as a, as a teacher in front of a classroom, or, you know, playing a character on TV or a doctor in a hospital. Like, we we all have the responsibility, I think, and this is just my opinion, <laughs> we all have the responsibility to represent all the pieces of who we are. So if we mm. can at least take what we are and embrace that and love that and speak to that whenever we have the opportunity. I mean, so much of the fear, so much of the misrepresentation, the misunderstandings, the conflict, I feel like there's no way it could not be resolved in some way, shape, Mm. or form in the future. So a long way of saying the magical (laughs) uniqueness that we all carry that has to be our superpower. That's what makes us superheroes in our own lives. Mm. It it's uh it takes me to another thing that you spoke of, and you said at one point, keep saying grace and holding fast to the gratitude for every blessing that comes your way. And and I've I've known you. I've been um, grateful to be your colleague, but also a, a hopefully dear friend, oh, come you know, on, dear LJ. friend of mine for <laughs> so many years. Um, and and I know you, and I know how important your spirituality and your faith is to you. 
And so when you wrote in there, keep saying grace, I knew that that had a, a deeper meaning than just someone being like, be grateful. Mm. So is there is there more that you could share more about your unique identity, about how your faith, oh, my puppy in the background, if anyone can hear that, is making noise. Um, <laughs> yeah, is there is there more that you could share about how your faith influences your path? I mean, my faith has been such an important part of the formation of my identity. So much of how I grew up and how I was raised is connected to the community that I belong to and the people and the family members that surround me. And there's a huge social element to it. And then obviously there's the religious part of it. And then there's the spiritual part of it, the the part of it that doesn't have form and for me, that's always mm. where I, I, I connected since I think I had the coherence to understand even in tiny glimpses of what spirituality is. That always inspired me. I was always that kid asking why. Hmm. You know, much to my yeah, parents' in an earlier chagrin. draft, you put yeah, you <laughs> yeah. put infinite curiosity. Yeah, my my, it's absolutely true. My infinite curiosity got me in. I'm not going to say trouble, but it was what kept me going in life. It kept me. It was like a pulse. It is a pulse. It's not a past tense. It is a pulse, and part of the ethos of my faith being in a smiley has always been keep asking why faith is mm. about investigation faith is about having trust and deepening your inquiry because when you deepen your inquiry into something you're deepening your understanding and when you deepen your understanding you get closer to god or spirit or the divine mm. um and i know it's i think it's rain wilson who said this that the the act of creation, the work of an artist, is an act of prayer. Oh, wow. I, I might be paraphrasing. I don't know. I'm going to say it, that the act of creation <laughs> is the act of prayer. And Well, it's, it's birth and death for sure. There's something very um, primal about making art, I think. More so than primal, I'd say it's like also just it's a way of communing with the divine it's a way of expressing something deeply internal deeply spiritual in a way that has that has form um mm. or you know doesn't have material form maybe it's sound maybe it's you know ideas um but that's also something yeah that's also something that i've always been driven by and compelled by in terms of being an actor, being an artist. This phrase really hit me, this say it out loud right now, I, Farah Marani, forgive myself for everything I've ever done to get in my own way. So right before this interview, I was just telling Jen about how I've been revisiting Pema Chodron's collection, The Places That Scare You. Mm. For about the, and for about the past week, I found myself resting and rereading nightly this chapter that's about midway through that's on self-forgiveness. And it, it's not about taking the time uh, to forgive yourself for like stealing the last cookie from someone, but rather it's like finding it within you to forgive yourself for being you. This flawed and complicated mm. human who shares so much in common with others on the planet, 
and practicing for those who who know Buddhism, practicing Tonglen to to for yourself, feeling everything you're feeling and offering out that relief. And I, I so I think I'm okay for one of a better word because I hate this word a bit, but stuck on this meditation. Like I just keep rereading it the last week because self compassion and forgiveness of yourself is one of the hardest fucking things, hardest. and yet so totally beautiful. Is. Such a beautiful thing that we can offer ourselves. And in the next episode, after you, we have Caroline's talking about, at one point she says, self-compassion, can we ever say it enough? And so I guess my question to you is, Farah, do you have any ideas how to move through this journey when you ask yourself now, when your older self asks you now to forgive yourself in that way for being this flawed and complicated human? What does that look like for you? It looks... I think more so it feels like letting go of feeling, again, I think it comes down to a feeling of letting go of any kind of compulsion or need or drive to to be something or someone that doesn't feel authentically me. And if I were to look back, when I do look back at the last years, you know, several, well, not several, when I do go back and look at my younger years <laughs> and some of the choices that I made, here's a simple way of putting it. I have tattoos and there are sometimes I look at my tattoos and I'm like, why the hell did I, why did I get that? tattooed on my body. And then I remember when I decided, when I made the decision to ink my body with a particular image or word, in that moment, that 22-year-old self was so convinced and believed so deeply in the meaning behind why I was doing this Mm. act that it was the right thing for me to do in that moment. Who am I to judge my younger self Mm. like that? I was so committed to doing that thing because I believed it was so important to me Mm. at that time that it's only with age I can look back and go, well, it was maybe not the wisest thing to do. But in that moment, it felt like the right thing to do. And I I think that's what I have. we have to let go of, is when we judge ourselves for the things we've done in the past that we can't change. And then remember this idea of self-compassion. Remember that we were in, I was in a particular time and a particular place where that meant so mm-hmm. much to me. Whether it was wise or not, I mean, only I now can look back and say that. Yeah, that- uh, every time I speak to you, Farah, it really, it really speaks to me. You touch my heart. There's so many ways that that feeling of of forgiving one's younger self really resonates with me. That you know I could expound on, but I will save it for another time. <laughs> uh, just know how deeply that touches me. And um, there's something else. Okay, so as kind of a, a last thing here that you offer to yourself now that I I think is so beautiful. And so you say, 
You know that the key to unlocking your greatest potential lies in the stillness you're so close to finding. And then later in the essay, you say, now this was, um, forgive me because I'm paraphrasing because it was. It, this is the quote from your earlier draft, but it's the song playing in the background you won't hear until you adjust the volume and get quiet. So pay attention, find the stillness and listen. We're so much better off when we do. Ah, that is so remarkably beautiful and profound and makes me want to cry. And so I just have one question. Farmerani, are you saying that I should move to the woods and build a tiny home off grid and garden all day? <laughs> I mean, if that's going to make you happy, do No, it. no, but seriously. Uh, <laughs> talk to me about this incredible concept because, my God, when I read it, it's, look, we're in the midst of a pandemic right now. We're in the midst of a time that is filled with so much uncertainty, both in our lives and in our industry. And uh, we're, we're having a reckoning across the board with systemic racism. And, and, and we're having such reckonings with ourselves. And I know I'm not the only one, and it actually helps me get through my days right now when I uh, cry and say to others, you know, I'm in the midst of a fucking existential crisis. And so many other people, when I get vulnerable and open up about this, say, oh my God, me too. And Every time I have these conversations, every time I read something this beautiful and, uh, and try to engage in what's happening in the world, for me, it comes back to listening. And for me, the greatest struggle at the moment is stillness, is being able to hear myself and to hear my truth mm -hmm. and that guiding force that you're offering to yourself from your older self right here. So talk to me about what that means to you and, and why it's so important that you offer yourself that right now. I mean, you kind of just gave me an opportunity to experience that, the idea of listening. Listening is an action. Listening is a verb. Listening is not something done passively. And when it comes to listening to ourselves and the, the chambers within us that, that do have this echoing capacity, if we just give ourselves the opportunity to tap into it. It's terrifying because we don't know life without distraction. We don't. And whether that distraction is food or film or fucking, like whatever it is, we are filled with distractions. I mean, I speak these words because they're things, they're ideas that I am wrestling with myself. Mm -hmm. I have been obsessed and fascinated by monastic life for ages. And the idea that we could put ourselves in a space where we can have nothing more than the basics of what we need to survive and that our lives can be filled with self-reflection and meditation and experiencing the divine in every way, shape, and form available to us is something that excites me. Mm -hmm. It's why I feel like being an artist is a divine calling. So when I, when I, when I wrote this thing about like being so close to finding the stillness, 
a part of it is that feeling like I am, I feel so close to the sensation of fully accepting who and what I am in a way that I don't think I ever have. It probably is a direct result. <laughs> it's probably directly related to being in a pandemic and having to find the resources within myself to stay afloat mm -hmm. and not feel like I'm drowning. And then the other part of it is there are so many people around us chattering and yappering all the time, telling us what we should do, who we should be, where we should go. And sometimes it's, it's, it comes from a meaningful and a, and a loving place. You know, sometimes it's parents or teachers or friends or whatnot. And then there's the other side of it, which is like social media and, and media in general and the ideas that we absorb, the chatter that's around us all the time and learning how to turn that off and hear your own pulse. When I, when I had that thought about the song in the background, I often live life with a soundtrack and <laughs> like I have a song stuck in my head. I was like, oh, that'd be kind of cool. And then I was reflecting on it even more and I was like, it's, it's the sound of me. What is, what is me? What do I sound like? Mm. It's the rhythm of my heart. It's the rhythm of my breath. It's that... I don't pay attention to most of the time because I'm so busy listening to what other people are doing. It has to be a really deep and meaningful experience because it's a really challenging experience. Mm. And I have so often equated those two. They don't always have to be. They 100% don't always have to be. But this existence that we endure that we experience you know oprah said it i think wayne dyer says it we are spiritual beings having a physical experience those elements of us when they connect i feel like it's what outer space sounds like it's nothingness but it's got to be something mm, i was reading about existential therapy and and this idea that um, someone said to me too, that things become more beautiful, the more meaningless they are, which is just embracing yeah. sim simplicity and stillness and it becomes more beautiful. I'm going to wrap up here just because we could talk for hours. Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> no, no. Farah Marani conversations. Uh, Farah and Lara having the conversations. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to your voice and and get quiet and and share this with us today your perseverance and your accomplishments are are such an inspiration and uh yeah i'm really privileged to call you a colleague and a friend oh bless it's so fully reciprocated so so fully reciprocated thank you 
Farah Marani is a Muslim actor, filmmaker, educator, and advocate currently based in Los Angeles. Some of her TV and film credits include Shadowhunters, Nikita, Lost Girl, Covert Affairs, Private Eyes, and the upcoming feature film, Eat Wheaties, featuring Tony Hale and Sarah Goldberg. As well as being an actor, she has produced dozens of films with her company Lifeguard Productions, co-founded a nonprofit called Women on Screen, and serves as a diversity and inclusion consultant for film and TV. Presently, Farah is developing two limited series as well as writing a children's book and soon-to-be animated television show, and has been cast to star in the upcoming dark comedy series, Hashtag Blessed. Thank you, Farah, for joining us remotely today. Be sure to check out future episodes of Women on Screen Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts. And check out upcoming events and initiatives from Women on Screen at womenonscreen.ca. Until next time, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki. And I'm Jennifer Pogue. And we are Women, Women on Screen. This podcast was created and produced by Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. Executive produced by Lauren McKinley, Farah Marani, and Kira Murphy. With original music by Erica Percunier. This episode of Women on Screen Out Loud was sound mixed at Company 3 in Toronto. Thank you to Company 3 for continuing to support women on screen.